Right, ladies and gentlemen, good evening. Um, I sense there are one or two uh, still on their way. Uh, we are aware of apologies uh, from Councillor Lodge and Councillor Lees. Uh, I don't know, do we have any other apologies? Councillor Lachlan. Okay. Uh, but we're going to make a start because we have a number of uh, public speakers this evening. I welcome those of you in the room, those of you who are listening from outside to the Planning Policy Working Group meeting. Um, so there are two uh, speakers before we... Uh, start the meeting, although uh, I will ask for declarations of interest at this stage. Councillor Barker. As a member of Essex County Council, Chairman. <laughs> Thank you. Uh, but before I take the minutes, uh, I'm going to take uh, three uh, outside speakers. Uh, we'll stick strictly to the three minutes tonight uh, because we've got a lot to, of speakers to get through. But the first speaker uh, John Evans of uh, Stebbing, uh, uh, in relation to the Stebbing neighbourhood plan, has got 10 minutes, uh, timekeeper, um, and that is because the other presentations from the floor uh, in relation to neighbourhood plans have had a similar time, and it's only fair that uh, there is consistency across that. So I invite uh, John Evans to the mic. Thank you. Good evening. My name is John Evans. I speak on behalf of the Stebbing Neighbourhood Plan Steering Group, of which I am a member. I wish to address in the short time available the relevance of the landscape assessment and appraisal dated March 2017, undertaken by the Landscape Partnership, on behalf of the Parish of Stebbing, commissioned as part of the evidence base of its neighbourhood plan, and also comment on the report of Chris Blandford Associates, dated 13th June 2017, entitled Land West of Braintree Landscape and Visual Appraisal, referred to at tonight's agenda item four. 
The Landscape Partnership Report runs to 33 pages plus pictorial and mapped appendices, as well as 41 sheets of individual land parcel appraisals. It was provided to UDC at the beginning of April for their consideration and comments. None have been received. The Landscape Partnership Report has not been considered by the Blanford Report. The Blanford Report covers land, otherwise known as the site, lying both within Braintree District Council and Uttlesford District Council areas, but does not pay sufficient or due attention to landscape issues affecting Stebbing Village and particularly Stebbing Green. No individual parcel appraisals have been made and the report is of limited application for the following reasons. While the Blanford report does refer to national county and district landscape character considerations, it omits to refer to two which are applicable to the Stebbing Parish portion of the site, namely Landscape Character Assessments LCA A6, Upper Chalmer River Valley, and LCA B11, Linzel and Bardfield Farmland Plateau. Accordingly, it fails to take into account all relevant evidence, does not depict the complete picture, and is thus deficient. Blanford concludes that the site is of moderate to high landscape sensitivity, varying across the site, but that there is potential for part of the site to accommodate development subject to mitigation. No further details nor particulars are given as to any part lying within UDC's jurisdiction, as opposed to that within Braintree DC's jurisdiction. The Landscape Partnership has considered each of the identified, identified parcels of land lying within Stebbing Parish, including all those within the Uttlesford part of the site, being those immediately adjacent to Stebbing Green and Boxted Wood. They conclude that the latter have low capacity for development and state in their report, it is unlikely that any development, save occasional individual plots in very specific locations, would be appropriate in parcels with a low landscape capacity. Anything but very localized small-scale development in parcels with a medium-low landscape capacity is likely to have a significant adverse effect on landscape character and or visual amenity, even with mitigation measures in place. A neighbourhood plan questionnaire was completed by the residents of Stebbing in April 2017, to which there were 509 responses. To the question, how important to you is the landscape environment of Stebbing? 372 responded, very important, and 121 responded, important. Accordingly, the views of the residents of Stebbing are very clear on the importance to them of the issue of landscape and the steering group will reflect them in their draft neighbourhood plan. The steering group considers that the Blanford report has not been prepared in sufficient detail and requests that the officers engage with them and the landscape partnership at an early date in order to consider and review their respective views, taking into account, express account, the significance of national policies such as the need to protect three ancient woodlands, two registered grade two historic parks and gardens, and four listed buildings, all lying within the site. There are also two scheduled monuments and 22 listed buildings in the immediate vicinity of the site, but inexplicably have not been referred to by Blanford in their report, despite the study area being stated in their report to have been within a two and a half kilometer distance of it. 
In this latter context, Stirling Parish Council is also commissioning an appraisal of the heritage assets of the entire parish, which are numerous, and a copy will be supplied to the officers as soon as it's completed, so that due consideration may be given to it in the preparation of the local plan. Finally, I'd wished at the last meeting of the PPWG to refer to a sustainability appraisal commissioned by Braintree, Colchester and Tendring district councils from ECC place services, but was unable to do so because of shortage of time. The non-technical summary of this appraisal runs the 42 pages, and the report itself and annexes to several hundred. However, while UDC is not within the same housing market areas, Braintree, Colchester and Tendring, Tendring district councils, the observations in this appraisal as to landscape matters affecting Stebbing are of considerable importance and relevance. It is important to emphasize to this meeting that a Braintree district council only settlement scores much higher in this appraisal than one which potentially encroaches into Uttlesford district council in way of the areas of Stebbing Green, Boxted Wood and Andrews Field. So in conclusion, we submit that any extension of the proposed West of Braintree new settlement into the UDC area, namely into land lying within the Stebbing Parish, would fly in the face of the Landscape Partnership Appraisal, the ECOM report to which I referred at the last PPWG meeting, and the North Essex Authority Sustainability Appraisal to which I've just referred. It would be perverse, unsound, and without evidentiary support if UDC were to take a contrary view in making the final choice of preferred options. So finally, I do wish to thank the Chairman and Officers for allowing us a slightly extended opportunity the last time to make these submissions. So thank you very much. Thank you very much, uh, Mr Evans. And um, <coughs> because we have a, an item uh, on the agenda, I'll ask Mr Fox uh, to uh, pick up uh, those and other officers at that stage. I think Mr Fox, uh, under item four. Thank you. OK, moving on. Uh, Joanna Francis. start my three minutes can I just say um, agenda item nine on the evidence base it says that the sustainability appraisal is going to be presented to the PPWG next week but it doesn't appear to be on the agenda for that meeting um, is that right the sustainability appraisal will be taken at the regulation 19 consultation so it won't be taken next week okay fine my name is Joanna Francis, I'm a resident of Great Chesterford. Um, I'd like to point out that I'm not actually opposed to some development at Great Chesterford in principle. The recent presentation with Bidwells was supposed to be an opportunity to ask questions about the proposals, but there is no master plan. It is just a drawing, with everything to be determined later, so there was no discussion at all on the plan. Ultimately, Bidwells are doing this for financial gain, and why wouldn't they? By providing a large amount of housing in one location, it makes it easier to attract companies and lease commercial R&D space in the science cluster. It says as much in their documentation. But what about UDC? Why does the same not apply to you? You now have a 50% interest in Chesterford Research Park and need local housing to ensure commercial growth of the park and thereby increase your revenues. How is this not a conflict of interest? How can you not be considered to have a pecuniary interest in this site allocation and any future planning applications for the research park? Will this pecuniary interest be stated in the local plan? Bidwell's proposal says it's influenced by garden city principles. 
when asked if any would actually conform to, to the, it would actually conform to any of them, the answer was, depends on what you mean by garden city principles. So taking two of them. Land value capture for the benefit of the community. I assumed that expectations would have been set as part of the call for sites, but I was wrong. And according to Bidwells, there has been no discussion with UDC in the last two years about expected levels of land value capture or structure of the delivery vehicle for the development. Land has to be obtained at significantly lower than residential value in order to provide funding for the infrastructure, truly affordable housing and a future for this community. With regards to employment, a wide range of local jobs in the Garden City within easy commuting distance of homes is the principle. According to Bidwell's, minimum additional employment floor space is likely so as to limit competition with the wide range of employment opportunities close by. Not everyone will be working in the science cluster. And don't forget that the housing required for that employment growth has always already been provided for in the South Cam's local plan. There is still a need to provide a significant number of jobs within the community itself. According to the TCPA website, the Garden City principles are an indivisible and interlocking framework for their delivery. I haven't checked all of them, but the critical one is definitely missing, and so is the ethos. Apparently, this development will save us from the traffic chaos caused by the cars of people commuting to these jobs from outside the area. In that case, provision of cycling pedestrian routes to all the science parks mentioned, the train station at Great Chesterford as well, must be mandatory and absolutely non-negotiable. The size of the site is likely to be smaller due to constraints. There is no master plan, no agreement on land value capture, no agreed delivery vehicle, no named developer, and currently no modelling to show how many houses can be located at that site with all the required community infrastructure, which also hasn't been agreed. There is simply insufficient evidence at this point to make an allocation. Any allocation on this site can, can, cannot currently be shown to be achievable, deliverable, sustainable. We, we do not want large housing estates. Yeah. We do not want large housing estates with Section 106 agreements, which will later be renegotiated, claiming viability issues. I've got one sentence. If UDC wants to wants support from residents, development must conform to the principles we were promised. Thank you. Okay. Thank you for that. Um, I'll make a few comments and then uh, ask officers as well. Um, we, we should remember where we are, and I, I imagine I might make this uh, comment um, uh, throughout the evening, uh, that we're at recommendation stage. We're at um, commencement of Regulation 18, which is a consultative um, stage. So there aren't detailed plans at this stage because no developer knows whether they have been uh, put forward. So uh, we are on an iterative uh, exercise. Conflict of interest, um, we'd certainly state, obviously, that we have a 50% uh, stake in Chesterford Park. I don't think it's a, a significant conflict of interest, but uh, we'll take legal advice on that. Um, I, whatever happens at Chesterford Park would, would, would be happening in any case. Uh, in terms of um, garden developments, or, or, any uh, uh, site put forward as a new settlement, would, we would want to uh, be on the basis of garden development. Now, I appreciate that is open to interpretation, and I also appreciate that you can view garden development either as a concept or as an investment. Uh, and it's for this council and indeed uh, residents to decide whether it wishes to make an investment. You'll be aware of the um, 
the investment that uh, the collective councils, um, Braintree, uh, Tendring and Colchester are making for the three garden developments along there, al al alongside of Essex County Council. So uh, there is pre precedent for setting up a, uh, a, um, <coughs> a, a financial body to review that. But it is a key point. Uh, the principle of garden development is an absolutely key, key, key point and that picks up your point about land capture. Um, cycle paths, as you know, Great Chesterford, or certainly individuals in Great Chesterford feel very strongly about that, and um, yeah, again, this is an iterative exercise, any site that was chosen, one would want to work incredibly closely with the local community to get the benefit that they want out of it. Officers, would you add to that please? Yeah, um, that, that, that was a fairly good summary, Chairman. Um, yes, yeah, sorry, it's Richard Fox here for the benefit of the, um, the audience. Um, Yes, I mean, going back to your initial comments about the master plan, yes, there's been an illustrative master plan submitted. What we have to consider at this stage for the purposes of Regulation 18 is whether an allocation in principle could be supported. In other words, um, the, whether there are sufficient um, planning issues uh, which may preclude, for example, a site being allocated in principle. Um, we won't be allocating any sites in the plan which we don't think can be delivered or which have issues which cannot be mitigated against. That's the first thing I would say. The second thing I would say is that we have been and we are in dialogue with Bidwells, the, promote, the um, promoters of the scheme, and they have been uh, amending and uh, changing their master plan in response to issues that have arisen both from the community and other technical issues. Um, so I think um, at this stage, I would say that what we are looking at is, is the principle of an allocation and not any specific master plan that has been tabled, albeit if we think that there are, if I can use the term, showstoppers, then clearly we wouldn't be looking to allocate the site. Um, I don't know if any of the colleagues have got anything to add to that. Okay, thanks very much indeed. Thank you. Uh, now I'll call upon Neil Gregory. Certainly. Can you hear? Good. Thank you, Chairman. Uh, my comments are related to significant deficiencies in process by Uttlesford District Council. Thus, firstly, Great Chesterford Parish Council wrote two letters to you on the 5th of June. One concerned errors and omissions in the evidence base. One concerned detailed and substantive points in respect of proposals. We have only received a holding reply from Mr Fox on the 13th of June. Our questions and issues remain unanswered nearly three weeks later. These questions are of course central to the local plan. Secondly, the minutes of the 17th of May meeting contained in our view significant errors. I'm grateful to Rebecca Dobson for her actions to address this. Those errors included a statement by an officer to downplay the evidential value of a set of documents already admitted to the evidence base. Thirdly, we note under agenda mate that there are no minutes or documents in respect of meetings and or correspondence with Cambridgeshire County Council or South Cambridgeshire District Councillor. Councillor Peter Topping, the leader of South Cambridgeshire, is on record as having concerns about transport issues. Could I therefore ask, as a matter of urgency, that all correspondence, 
emails, notes of meetings, minutes and ancillary documentation between UDC, SCDC and Cambridgeshire County Council is brought to the attention of this working group at once. Failure to do so would quite possibly leave any recommendation made by this group on the 29th open to challenge as key and pertinent information had not been made available for consideration. Fourthly, Agenda 4 and Attachment 2.2 thereto does not include an integral part of the evidence base. The Chesterford's Landscape Character Assessment admitted to the evidence base in September 2016. We have written to you on all these matters. On only one, the technicalities of the minutes, have we received any substantive reply. We appear to be in a position where we have partially incomplete evidence presented to this working group and an unwillingness to fully consider uncomfortable evidence. One of these errors will be regrettable, but perhaps understandable. Four errors of this magnitude means that the papers do not provide this working group with a basis on which it can make reasonable evidence-led decisions. Finally, councillor, councillors, officers and the council are bound by the code of ethics to declare and manu manage actual conflicts and potential conflicts of interest. During the course of this process, and the pausing to reappraise evidence, particularly of the evidence relating to Great Chesterford, it has emerged that UDC were arranging and have finalised a strategic commercial investment in Little Chesterford Research Park. We are told that this is to participate in and support the development of life sciences. The commercial success of the UDC investment appears to be linked to the concept of a larger population centre in the north. It appears that UDC have acted in a way that has created a conflict of interest whilst attempting to assess the suitability of the sites. Thank you. Thank you. I shall um, respond and, and then ask officers to add so a number of points there. Um, I'll start with the 5th of June. Uh, you asked for, uh, well, the Paris Council asked for a series of detailed information. Mr. Fox gave you a summary response and explained that because uh, um, no recommendation had been made public, it was inappropriate to deal with the detail. And, and obviously that point still stands. And of course, every detail uh, that raised in your letter, which are perfectly reasonable requests, um, I think Mr. Fox already indicated, would have to be um, covered uh, for um, the council's satisfaction, for the community's satisfaction but perhaps most relevantly for the inspector's satisfaction. So you're not being ignored. Um, we don't believe there are four errors, so I will skate over that uh, piece of subjective comment. Uh, as far as Little Chesterfield, I've already answered that point. Um, we don't believe there's any conflict of interest. Uh, Little Chesterfield um, Research Park um, is uh, a self-contained exercise. Have you taken advice on that? We certainly will be taking advice on it. That wasn't my question. Have you taken advice? We certainly will be taking advice on it. So on what basis do you believe that there is no conflict? You just stated you believe there to be no conflict. Because there is are... There an is there I, I'm not having a debate. And if you'd like to turn off your microphone, we'll carry on. There already is a research park there. It is already undertaking activity. We have simply taken, taken a stake in it. So it's not as though we've, we've brought something new to the area. So it's a, it is a different set of circumstances. Um, the duty to cooperate, we have an item on the agenda which we will pack up, uh, pick up later. Um, and as far as uh, the other points around the minutes, I think Mr Harper is going to comment and uh, uh, Mr Fox as well. Thank you. Sorry, Mr Fox. Yes, yeah, sorry, with, with reference to the um, uh, last, yes, the, the last PBWG 17 May minutes, 
Yes, um, said that, I said that the topic papers took on board the NAPL Plan Historic Environment Assessment and Landscape Character Assessment as part of the evidence base, but those documents were commissioned to inform the creation of the Neighbourhood Plan. Well, the topic papers, that's on last uh, month's agenda, we used to assess the potential impact of new settlements on landscape and heritage assets. Those are both facts, that's exactly what I said, and that doesn't take away from the fact that both of them are part of the evidence base. It's not necessarily the case that one trumps the other, they were both commissioned for different purposes, and that remains the case. Okay, any other comments on Mr. Gregory's? Okay, thanks very much. Um, we, we talked about, I said, we're coming on to duty to cooperate. I said, we're coming on to duty to cooperate. Uh, we're, uh, we're now moving on to the minutes of the meeting. Uh, there has already been reference. Otherwise, are they a true record of what took place? Thank you. They are. They will be duly signed. Um, we now move on to item three, the Uttlesford Transport Study. Um, and there are two outside speakers which we'll take first, uh, Councillor Sandy Merrifield and Councillor David Hall. Sandy first. Pardon? Okay, fine. My understanding was that Councillor Goodwin was talking to item four. You swapped it around. Okay, that's fine. Yep. So you're, you're doing four? Yep, okay. Thank you. As I'm Jane Goodwin, um, Living Parish Council. Living Parish Council considered that transport planning is a key factor in any development and particularly the extent of the development proposed in the building of a garden settlement. It is, in fact, it is a fact that the predominant method of travel for all scenarios is the car. It is inevitable that the road infrastructure needs major upgrading to accommodate even the increased movements resulting from the 3,500 dwellings that were built by BDC and UDC in the planned period up to 2033 in a settlement west of Braintree. The report shows of 22 roads and junctions relevant to 28 developing scenarios, all but three have stress measurements that exceed capacity. The A120 already suffers from congestion for longer periods rather than just peak rush hour time. It would not take many more dwellings accessing that route to create major problems with congestion. Trips by mode give the impression that all modes listed are available to all sites. It would be a challenge for most people west of Braintree to board a train without first driving by car. It's stated that new developments should minimise traffic movement and deliver sustainable transport measures. Will any of this happen in the plan period up to 2033? Our greatest fear is that this, that this respect this is the first phase, in respect to the first phase of houses are built with no changes to infrastructure. Even then, only 10% are assumed to make a transport change. Much of the change is anticipated to be to rail travel. The reality is that for west of Braintree, the nearest station is, is in Braintree, which is 7.5 miles from Andrews Field. It does not have the comprehensive service to London for commuters and little parking available. Alternatively, commuters travel by car to Chelmsford, Bishop Stortford or Whitton to access the train service, increasing the road congestion and demands on parking at these locations. The report to our surprise states that although Great Dunmo is more distant to rail services, 
than the other areas, it and the west of Braintree is better served by buses. <coughs> a lack of evidence to support this statement and personal experience would lead me to doubt the truth of that statement. Stebbing Parish Council has great concerns that it, is, it and other villages will have the unacceptable levels of traffic passing through its lanes as rat runs are created by drivers trying to avoid congestion on the surrounding major routes. Little if any is proposed regarding any sort of improvement of rail links for the west of Braintree. It is accepted that while cycling and walking will be encouraged, they remain in practical modes of transport for commuting for work, the majority, and certainly by 2033. Our conclusion is that little solid evidence showing any certainty that substantial transport infrastructure changes are guaranteed before the effects are felt of construction of a small proportion of the eventual total of houses that make up a garden settlement west of Braintree. Thank you very much, and uh, hopefully some of those uh, comments will be picked up during our presentation. So thank you. Councillor David Hall. Thank you, Chairman. As regards uh, transport aspects of the Great Chesterford proposal, um, Bidwell's in their transport infrastructure appraisal state, and I quote, for the purposes of this document, a more balanced future modal share is assumed to eventually derive from national and local policies as to prevent an over-analysis of the highway dimension at the expense of sustainable modes. I also remind you that um, Bidwell's estimated costs of such limited infrastructure uh, improvements as it's put forward have been looked at by Malins in preparing its economic viability study, but Malins add the critical proviso that a full transport assessment of the figures will be required. Turning to agenda item three, I refer you to paragraph 6.4 which of the paper, which recognised that long-distance commuting has implications for the local transport infrastructure and that most travel is by car and use of some sustainable modes is negligible. I also refer you to your paragraph 6.6, .6, final paragraph, which notes that there is a requirement that new settlements must minimise new trips by car and that residual traffic impacts still need to be assessed. So, it is immediately conceded by UDC that current sustainable travel modes are largely negligible and that traffic impacts of developing Great Chesterfield site remain to be assessed. And your paragraph 6.9.2 states that delivery of Great Chesterfield is, and I quote, subject to delivery of successful modal shift measures and more detailed transport assessment work. In fact, this paper, Agenda Item 3, contains serious errors of fact which further vitiate the quality of the research that is supposed to inform the decision you are about to take. Firstly, the statement in paragraph 6.11.3 that quotes Great Chestford would use junction M11, junction 9, rather than junction 8, makes no sense. There's no access north of junction 9, so rat runs through local villages the M11 Junction 10 will continue. Second, the claim in paragraph 6.7.12 that
that Quaid's Great Chesterford has good access to the strategic road network is only partially correct as regards the M11 travelling south and the A11 to which there will be no direct access other than by the Stump Cross roundabouts. Third, the statement in the same paragraph that Quaid's Great Chesterford has good access to walking and cycling facilities and is close to a rail station has been lifted verbatim from paragraph 5.2.14 of the Addendum Transports Report, and it is simply untrue. The facts are firstly, Great Chesterford has no dedicated cycling facilities. The closest is Nat right, National Cycle Route number 11, which uh, is nowhere near, passes nowhere near Chesterford. Footpaths, um, uh, they only run as far as Eagleton and Little Chesterford and the distance of the station from the proposed settlement is such that uh, Bidwell's propose frequent bus services to serve it. Right, I wind up by reminding you that in 2012, South Cam's District Council officers recommended that a new settlement at Chesterford which should be resisted on a variety of grounds, not least the site, as quotes key weaknesses with no credible public transport link with Cambridge or other settlements in the 11 corridor. Basically, okay. Uh, basically, there are a number of errors which do need to be taken into account. Thank you. And they're not recorded in the agenda item. Right. Thank you very much. So, uh, a number of comments have been made about the transport study undertaken by White Young Green, but I'm delighted to welcome Alison Gregory, uh, the composer of that report, uh, who will present, and I hope, be able to answer some of the comments Thank you. <coughs> And I, I will thank you, I didn't get the chance to thank you for an earlier presentation in the week publicly, so I will do that. And in case uh, you slip away before I get the opportunity, so thank you again for coming to life. Thank you. Good evening, everybody. Uh, my name is Alistair Gregory, and I work for WYG Consultants. and. Uh, we have produced the transport study in support of the new local plan. Um, apologies, some of you may have been present on Monday when I gave a very similar presentation. Um, so we've abbreviated it slightly. Um, I think as much detail as it's required. Yeah. There are many who will be hearing the second plan, I'm sure people here and those listening in will be okay. start at the beginning, why do we need a transport study? Um, clearly transport's a hot topic um, and it's required as part of the evidence base in support of the new local plan. Um, one of the uh, key aspects of this transport study was to address the inspector's concerns from the previous withdrawn local plan and in particular highways, as they were called at the time, highway, the highways agency's objections with regards to impacts at uh, M11 Junction 8. Um, so the study has looked at that in quite some detail. Um, the study has been produced in accordance with the MPPF and all relevant transport guidance and policy and current best practice. Uh, the study has also been produced in consultation with Essex County Council in their capacity as the local highway authority, Highways England as the highway authority for the M11 motorway and the trunk road network and also in consultation with all of the neighbouring authorities, uh, county councils and district councils that neighbour Uttlesford district. 
The study considers all modes of transport and we've applied a very robust methodology um, to, to assess the, the potential traffic impacts on the highway network within the district. So we've not made any allowance for future modal shift. So we've not discounted any of the traffic flows uh, to make any assumptions regarding potential future modal shift, i.e. will people uh, use the bus more frequently, will they walk and cycle to, to work and to school and to the shops. So it's all based on 2011 census information. So it's based on observed data on existing modal shift within the district. So that means that the numbers are robust. They're, if anything, they're probably a bit too high. And the plan would be, as, as new development comes forward, uh, sustainable travel measures will be incorporated into developments and improvements to sustainable travel and sustainable travel connections, new public transport services, bus routes, bus services, etc., etc., will be provided as part of the developments and they will be a fundamental aspect of new developments as it comes forward. Uh, and that will encourage and promote the use of sustainable modes and help to reduce car trips. But we've assessed it on the basis that none of that happens to make sure that the worst case doesn't result in any showstoppers in terms of the operation of the highway network that would prevent the local plan from being delivered. <coughs> so we've looked, well the purpose of the study is essentially to look at the patterns of growth within the district that will result in the least impact in terms of traffic on the network. So how do you spread the required growth that the council is required to achieve within the district at the end of the plan period? How do you best locate that within the district to reduce the impacts on the local road network? And that's what we've looked at and we've assessed lots of, lots of scenarios as we'll discuss in a minute. Uh, the study also provides evidence on sustainable travel and discusses potential opportunities for how that can be improved. And it identifies the impacts at a strategic level, so it looks at key showstopper type of issues. It looks at strategic junctions like M11 Junction 8, M11 Junction 10 and other key junctions on the highway network. And it looks at what the traffic impacts would be if all this growth occurs with no modal shift. And then it looks at what mitigation would be required to be delivered to make sure that, that those junctions continue to function satisfactorily. So. The methodology behind the study is the starting point is to look at well, what are the existing conditions within the district, how, how do the networks operate at the minute and as part of that process we had to undertake 45 new transport surveys across the district uh, that were undertaken in um, that were undertaken in 2016 during school term time to make sure that we we're capturing reliable data and that complemented existing traffic data that was already available from the County Council and from Highways England for their highway networks. So it's comprehensive coverage of the network across the district. Um, there was also a process of reviewing traffic master data, which is um, data collected through um, GPS in cars, which basically compares the traffic flow speeds within the peak periods and outside of the peak periods and makes a comparison between the two to identify where congestion exists on the network. So basically by looking at vehicle speeds within the peaks and outside of the peaks, you can identify where traffic flows are slower because of congestion on the network. 
And that's a really useful tool because it basically identifies and you can plot it on a plan and it will show you where the junctions in the, on the existing network are uh, congested and it's a very easy and useful tool to understand. Um, so once you can see from those plans where the hotspots are, you can then have a look at the, the junction operation. We've had a look at some of the existing junctions across the districts which are known to be congested already. And also as part of the base data review, we've looked at 27, sorry, 2011 census data, road safety information for the network, public transport information and walking and cycling information, and also DFT accessibility data. The next stage on, once you've identified what the existing conditions are, is to look at what we call the reference case. And that is simply the situation that will be in place at the end of the local plan period if no local growth occurs within the district. So obviously growth will be happening in all of the adjacent districts to Wattlesford and traffic from that growth will be impacting on roads within the district. So regardless of when it, whether any local plan growth happens within the Uttlesford district, traffic flows will increase on the, the road network within the district anyway as a result of growth that's happening elsewhere and also as a result of developments that have already got planning permission within, within the district that have yet to be built. So in order to identify that, we've produced what we call an uncertainty log, which is essentially just a list of all developments that are uh, committed, that have already got planning permission, yet to be built out. Developments that are likely to have planning permission submitted in the foreseeable future, and developments that are likely to come forward through uh, the, planning, sorry, the planning allocation and local plan process. So we produce that big long list and as part of that process we consult with all of the adjacent authorities to Uttlesford to identify that same growth within all of their respective districts. And it's a huge long list, 20 odd pages long of potential development. <clears throat> Each development is, <clears throat> is, excuse me, is ranked in terms of the certainty of it actually occurring in practice. And this is a um, a standard methodology which is described in the web tag guidance which is the DFT guidance on uh, transport modelling. So we followed recommended practice in producing the uncertainty log. Cheers. Um, the web tag guidance tells us that we should be looking at what's known as the core scenario which is essentially all developments that's uh, categorised as being near certain or more than likely to proceed and that's considered to be the most realistic scenario to consider. Um, so that's what, we've under, that's what we've taken into account in this instance. Um, we also do a cross-check against um, the NTEM, which is the National Trip End Model, which is the DFT's uh, nationwide model of traffic growth across the country, uh, using the Tempro software, which is the software for interrogating the NTEM model. And we compare the growth that's been recorded in the uncertainty log against the growth that's included in the Tempro software. And where there's any shortfalls, we uplift it to match Tempro growth to, to make sure that the assumptions are robust. Um, in addition to all of that uncertainty um, log growth that's been taken into account, we've also factored in the proposed allocation at the west of Braintree site within Braintree district Strictly speaking, because at this stage that's just a proposed allocation, it hasn't got a high enough certainty level to be actually be included in the core scenario. So if we were to follow WebTag to the letter, it wouldn't be included in the assessments. But because 
it's obviously on the border of the district and it, it will have a, an impact on traffic within the district and it's a local concern. And that development has been included in the reference case. And we've also factored in the uh, planned future expansion of Stansted Airport to the 35 million passengers per annum, which is the anticipated throughput to the end of the plan period. Uh, and that's based on data that was supplied to us by Essex County Council as part of the Stadidare undertaking to the traffic effects of the airport expansion. So once we've identified the reference case, the next stage then is to add in the local plan growth, and this is what we call the forecast conditions. So again, we're looking at the end of the plan period of 2033, and essentially we generate traffic um, trip generation for all of the growth that's proposed within the local plan. And we've looked at numerous spatial distribution options as to how that growth could be spread around the district. And I have to say, this is the most comprehensive assessment I've ever been involved with for a local plan. Typically, we'd probably look at two to four scenarios. And in this case, we've tested 28 scenarios. So it's a very, very uh, extensive piece of work. And there's the, the several reasons behind why there were so many, because there's, there's, there's been some changes in terms of um, the appeal decisions coming forward for a couple of sites within, within the district while the study was underway. Uh, there's been changes to the housing numbers that were required by the government and as a factor of all of these changes um, we've had to test a large number of scenarios um, so the testing essentially looks at network link capacity uh, so we superimpose the traffic due to the local plan development across the network and we look at how link flows will change across the highway network and then we compare those link flows against the theoretical link capacity on the network. And that identifies, in essence, the hotspots on the network where uh, congestion might be expected in the future at the end of the plan period. Uh, so once those hotspots are identified, we can then look at those areas in a bit more detail. And that's identified the key strategic junctions that have been assessed in more detail in the study. Uh, and obviously the, the, the key <coughs> junction is M11 Junction 8. Um, and then what flows out from that process is the mitigation strategy. So when we were um, working our way through the study, there were, we, initially there were a large number of areas of search to be considered. And uh, several of those fell out for various reasons quite early on. So several areas of search fell out of the, of the uh, running because there was no developer interest that came through the call for sites consultation. Uh, some more fell out of the, the running because they were either in within the Greenbelt or within the CPZ, the Countryside Protection Zone. Um, Elsinum was rejected on the Secretary of State's appeal decision and the, the findings from the Secretary of State were that it would have adverse impacts on local roads and our findings from the testing that we've done support that as well. Um, a site at Little Dunmo was considered to be less accessible than other options available within the district, primarily because to provide a, a significant level of new development at that location would require a new great separator junction onto the A120, which would be very expensive and technically difficult to deliver. Uh, and north of Takeley as well, for similar reasons, would require um, a new junction onto the A120 to avoid unacceptable adverse impacts on the local road network. Um, the level of growth that's considered feasible at Saffron Walden 
um, was limited due to the constraints within the town. Um, so I think in terms of what was considered previously in the, the earlier local plan that was withdrawn, uh, the level of growth being considered there is significantly reduced. So after going through this process, what we've done is identified three preferred lotion, uh, locations in transport terms for the provision of new garden communities uh, to um, deliver the bulk of the housing requirement for the district. Uh, and those three locations are Great Chesterford, west of Great Dunmo, and west of Braintree. But all of these sites are large enough to establish new sustainable communities and they have good accessibility to public transport. Now, not all of those sites have existing good accessibility to public transport, and we openly accept that, but they all have good potential for those links to be improved where necessary. They are all located close to existing settlements that have existing services and amenities, and again, the scale and quality and range of those amenities varies by location, but they are all located close to existing settlements and they're all located close to employment opportunities and each of them has good access to the strategic road network either the trunk road or the motorway network now whether that's an immediate direct access or one junction away it's it's still good access to the to the srn so the, the findings from the study have helped to advise the local plan approach that's um, now being promoted and suggested, which is um, fully in accordance with the requirements of the MPPF. And it's to focus the growth essentially at the most accessible locations within the district to minimise impacts on the local road network. It's to provide new sustainable mixed-use garden communities and the benefits of doing that is that by establishing a mix of uses on a site, it minimises the need to travel in the first instance. So by providing housing, schools, shops and employment on one site, it helps to reduce the overall number of trips that will be generated on the wider, on the wider highway network. These sites will be designed to be accessible by walking and cycling, so they will be permeated by walking and cycling routes, and that will be an integral requirement as part of the uh, the sort of master planning and detailed design process as these sites come forward through planning. Um, and by providing the scale of development at few locations, it means that you've got the critical mass of development there to be able to deliver the new and improved walking and cycling and public transport uh, infrastructure and connections that are required to help make sustainable travel more realistic. So the upshot and Obviously, the intention, the whole ethos behind the garden community idea is that uh, providing these new settlements helps to minimise the overall traffic generation that results. Um, we're still at very early stages. There'll be a lot of detail yet to be worked out, obviously, and um, a lot of this will need to be encapsulated as part of detailed site briefs and through the planning application process, through obligations, planning conditions, etc. applied, and developers will be required to mitigate their immediate impacts on the highway network. So we're not saying that sustainable travel is going to be answered to everything. There's still going to be impacts. 
there's still going to be increased traffic on local roads and there will be locations where highway improvements will be required and developers will be required to deliver those improvements to address their impacts. Our study is focused on the key strategic traffic impacts <clears throat> and we've identified <clears throat> junctions on the existing network, the key junctions on the network where the, the highest impacts are going to result and where mitigation is most likely to be required. So within the districts, you've got the M11 motorway. And, and So this list that's on the slide here is, is the mitigation that's either already planned and in the pipeline or will be required to be delivered to help mitigate the impacts of not just growth as a result of local plan, but also the reference case growth. So the, the baseline traffic that will exist on the network regardless of local plan growth. So Highways England at the minute have a programme of technology improvements on the M11 uh, that are being rolled out for completion by the end of 2020, which is essentially signage and um, variable message type information type scheme to help with incident management. So uh, that, that's, although it's not going to deliver extra capacity by widening or um, smart motorway, it doesn't quite go as far as smart motorway, it will help by um, addressing delays caused by incidents, by incident, better incident management. Um, at M11 Junction 8 and the two immediately adjacent roundabouts to the west, there's a short to medium term scheme that's already been designed by Essex County Council and that's being programmed for delivery um, by 2018-19. Now that, that scheme will essentially extend the working life of the junction by approximately 10 years. It's very difficult to put a figure or timescale to how long it will um, extend its life, but the best estimate at the minute is it's probably going to be about a 10-year life extension to the, the working life of that junction. Now, the, the forecast growth in traffic is going to require a more comprehensive improvement at that junction. So Essex County Council at the minute are working in partnership with Hertfordshire County Council and Highways England to identify longer term improvements at M11 Junction 8 and the two roundabouts to the west. Um, and they're going through a process of building a very detailed micro-simulation model of all of those junctions and looking to identify a scheme for promotion through future roads investment strategies. Uh, within Saffron Walden, there's a package of relatively small scale improvements that have been identified on the Peasland Road corridor, which will permit uh, some development to the east of the town. And within adjacent authority areas, there's several um, schemes that have been identified for delivery that will also assist by helping to address some traffic issues that impact on the highways within Oxford District. So the first one of those is M11 Junction 7, where Highways England have got a scheme uh, to improve the existing junction there to provide better access. And that's been promoted sorry, promoted for delivery as part of future roads investment strategy. Um, M11 Junction 7A, which is Essex County Council leading on a scheme to provide a new junction, which is being programmed to start by the end of 2020. And Essex County Council are also leading on a study at the minute on behalf of Highways England to look at the A120 between Braintree and the A12 trunk road to the east of Braintree. Uh, and that's primarily looking at dueling the existing single carriageway section of road between 
those two uh, endpoints. Uh, but it will also be looking at delivering improvements to the Gallies Corner and Mark Farm roundabouts at Braintree, which are key bottlenecks on the A120 around Braintree. And now, obviously, if, if that whole section of road is improved and those two key bottlenecks are removed, then that will have knock-on benefits for traffic conditions on the A120 within Uttlesford District. To the south of the district, uh, Essex County Council are working up a scheme to improve the A131B1008 Essex Regiment Way roundabout, which is, is one of the other roundabouts we've identified through the study where um, future conditions uh, will be worsened by reference case and local plan growth traffic. Um, and Essex County are pr promoting that improvement scheme for delivery by the end of 2020. And as part of this study, we've also undertaken a review of the A505 corridor to the north of the district within South Cambridgeshire uh, district. Um, M11 Junction 10 and the A505, A1301 roundabout, which is a couple of roundabouts to the east of the motorway, uh, already experienced congestion in the peaks. And the reference case suggests that that's just going to get worse with committed development traffic. Uttlesford district traffic has a relatively small additional impact on those junctions. Um, but as part of the discussions that have been held with uh, Cambridgeshire County Council and South Cambridge Council, uh, we agreed to undertake a corridor study of the A505 between the M11 um, and the A11 to the, to the east. And as part of that work, we've assessed the operation of the roundabouts uh, along that section of the A505 and identified that, the, that there are deliverable improvements for both the M11 Junction 10 roundabout and the 505 A1301 roundabout um, that can be delivered within the existing highway boundary to help mitigate local traffic plan, sorry, local plan traffic impacts. If anyone can catch the cat, then we can put it out. I don't know whose it is, but I don't think it's a house cat. Um, as part of the study... <laughs> Essex County Council have also updated the earlier transport study work that they undertook uh, looking at highway conditions within Saffron Walden. Um, as I'm sure you're all fully aware that the central area of the town is heavily constrained with very limited opportunities for improvement in terms of uh, highway capacity. Uh, and any development within or around the town is only going to put extra traffic demands on the highway network within the town. <coughs> so Essex County Council had undertaken a study back in 2014 and that's been updated with new traffic data and they've said They've tested uh, a range of scenarios for potential development around the town to help identify the preferred um, scenario for promotion through the local plan. So the three, scenario, well, the three key scenarios that have been tested included a southern and eastern link road, so essentially bypassing the southern and eastern side of the town um, in conjunction with a significant size of development of circa 5,000 dwellings. The second one was an eastern link road only with a more modest development of up to 1,350 dwellings. And the third one was a, a much reduced scale of development of about 150 to 300 dwellings with no link road. So the, 
Yep. The findings from that are essentially that the, the southern and eastern link road with 5,000 dwellings, the, the testing has shown that it doesn't really solve the traffic congestion and air quality issues within the town. Um, and because it's such a significant piece of infrastructure, it would obviously be very expensive. At the minute, the funding is unlikely to be forthcoming and it will be subject to a lot of additional work, which um, essentially can't be completed within the timescale for the uh, local plan preparation. So that, that scenario has been ruled out for those reasons at this stage, and if, if needs be, it could be reviewed at a later date as part of a local plan review. Um, the Eastern Link Road only with a more modest development, again, shows that it, uh, it helps, but it still results in unacceptable traffic impacts, particularly on the Peaseland Road, Mount Pleasant Road corridor. Uh, and that's essentially as a result of um, the new data that's been collected that shows the uh, pattern of movements across the town. Uh, so again, that, that scenario has been ruled out. Uh, the third one, which was delivery of some more modest local improvements um, and a, a much reduced scale of development is the preferred. Uh, and the testing that the county have done suggests that a development of around 150 dwellings on what's known as the Keir site to the east of the town uh, could be acceptable in transport terms and would result in relatively modest impacts within the town. Um, but obviously that, that is all subject to a detailed transport assessment being produced and also an air quality impact assessment because the testing that's been undertaken is relatively um, preliminary at this stage. So, final slide. Uh, in summary then, um, we believe that all reasonable spatial distribution options have been tested. Um, There's a very comprehensive range of scenarios that have been tested. In general terms, the south of the district has got better transport links than the north, and essentially that's because of the, uh, the geography of the district and the presence of the, the highway network. Um, but by spreading growth north and south, it helps to reduce traffic impacts at some of the key junctions and routes within the district, fundamentally M11 Junction 8 and on the A120 corridor. Um, The sort of recommended approach of new garden communities uh, will help to reduce the need to travel overall and deliver the sustainable travel measures required to minimise new car trips. And we've tested and through the testing uh, identified that growth focused in three new garden communities with a range of smaller development in the towns and larger villages is acceptable in transport terms. And that's what's now being promoted. Thank you very much indeed, Alistair, for that comprehensive presentation. Colleagues, members of the Planning Policy Working Group, what I, what, what I will offer, which is not part of our normal routine, um, is it, questions only, please, not speeches, so just a minute. Um, if you've got a question for your area, uh, David Hall for Chesterford, uh, Jane Goodwin for Stebbing, and whoever... Um, Little Eastern would like to put forward to ask questions of Alistair at this stage, uh, you're welcome to do that. But let me give an, a, a chance to the committee to, bearing in mind the committee has already received this uh, presentation and asked questions earlier in the week. Are there anything further tonight? Yes, Councillor Dean. First of all, can I um, give um, no <coughs> another apology? Although Councillor Foley, excuse me, <coughs> isn't a member of this working group, he had intended to be here. Um, to ask questions, but he's stuck at work in Chelmsford. Um, so that's the thought. Excuse me, my clerk can I wrote um, 
I, I read this over the last two days and I wrote in a, a list of uh, 30 questions to officers uh, earlier today and I'm not expecting those to be answered in their entirety this evening but I'll pick out one or two that I think might be more um, significant. Can I, can I say take a couple and then come back yeah, rather, than, yeah, sure. rather than uh, all, yeah. uh, all of them? The first one is probably a simple answer, but on page 566, um, <clears throat> at paragraph 3.70, where references or concluding references are made to junction 9, um, can I take it that because I couldn't find anything in here about a north facing, making that junction north facing, that there is no um, plan, no intention, no affordability to make Junction 9 north-facing as well as south-facing? Yes, that's correct. Um, we've discussed this with Essex County Council and Highways England and at the minute um, there's essentially there's no desire to uh, see that type of improvement delivered at Junction 9. Okay, thank you. I thought it was a simple answer. Um, <coughs> The, um, the pipe, page 576 at paragraph 10.2, there is reference to the, and you've made some reference in your um, presentation to the relative merits of the A120 corridor um, versus the M11 corridor, and also reference to airport employment. What I'm trying to get my head around is whether you're saying that the A120 corridor is more suitable or the sites on the A120 corridor are more suitable because there is more local employment at the airport or because the, as you mentioned in your presentation, the transport network is a bit better than in the north of the district. And how does airport employment stack up with the fact that the majority, or I think it's a majority, I don't know what the proportion is of people employed at the airport actually travel in because they can't afford to live in the district. Um, so putting it another way, is, is the airport, is employment at the airport less a strong justification for development in the A120 as I read into this report compared with the, the what most of us call the Cambridge phenomenon which of course on the whole tends to employ higher paid people who are more able to afford housing in the district. I know I might be getting into an economics rather than transport but presumably you've taken some of this evidence into account in writing the report. Um, you're right, this is getting into an economic sort of debate rather than a transport, purely transport debate and um, to be honest our study doesn't go into the economic side of uh, affordability of housing for employees and essentially it looks at um, zones of employment and their proximity to potential housing development sites and that's the limit of our study. I mean we've taken information uh, DFT accessibility data that looks at employment locations uh, which is based on population centres 
uh, and, and that's formed the conclusions that we've reached in terms of proximity to employment. But the, the level of detail that you're talking about hasn't, hasn't been entered into as part of the transport study. Now, it, it wouldn't, under, under normal circumstances, go into that level of detail. That's more for an economic type of employment um, study rather than the transport side of things. I, whether the employment study has looked at that level of detail or not, I, I honestly couldn't tell you because I've not actually read it. So whether anybody else has seen it and could comment on it, I don't know. Anybody want to comment on it? Okay. One more, and then I'll see if anybody else wishes to come in. Page 576. Um, paragraph 10.4 which makes reference to West of Braintree and, and if I'm reading it correctly it's suggesting that the so-called West of Braintree which we call East of Stebbing um, that the bit in Uttlesford it suggests is dependent on the development in Braintree to become to work whereas it was, it's been my understanding up to now that to, to some extent because of transport and access to the site that the portion in Uttlesford is crucial for the west of Braintree to work because of access into the area in this district. So have you, are you aware of that and, and does that kind of, does that paragraph at 10.4, is yeah. it complete? I think your final sentence answers the question, which is, is this a funding stroke scale matter rather than a geographical one? Yeah, the, the, the access is partially within Uttlesford. But I, I think the issue is that uh, to achieve the scale of development required uh, to deliver the infrastructure required to access it and also to provide the sustainable transport links, the improvements to bus travel, etc., that will be required to make the overall scheme work requires the whole development to happen rather than just the proportion within the Fussford district. So it's not just a, an access issue. Good. Members, any? No? Okay. Mr. Hall, do you want to ask a question? Thank you, Chairman. Uh, specifically in relation to the B184 between Stump Cross and Saffron Walden, and account taken of proposed uh, developments at Welcome Genome and the AgriHub, yeah, Hinkston, to what extent does your report uh, review and anticipate traffic growth given that the B184 is the principal point of access to this suggested garden settlement? Um, the, the developments that you've just mentioned are factored into the reference case, so they're included in the uncertainty log. So the traffic generation from those developments is included within the numbers that have been applied in the transport study. Um, with regards to specific impacts on the B road, um, th th there will be issues and this is where uh, the matter of residual impacts that will need to be assessed in a lot more detail as things progress. Um, obviously we are still at very early stages in the local plan looking at how development should be allocated across the district and the study is all about identifying the strategic transport effects to identify the best spatial distribution of growth uh, to help minimise those impacts on roads such as the B184. Um, 
So we haven't got as far, and I don't think anybody would expect at a local plan sort of inquiry stage to have identified um, local mitigation schemes down to every local junction. Um, you know, that would just be a phenomenal amount of work. And to, to look at all of that level of detail so far in advance could be all completely abortive because you don't know how things are going to change towards the end of the plan period. The whole committed development that's been assumed in the study may not occur. Um, there could be an oil crisis that changes the way traffic and cars are used on the road network. You know, there's a whole range of factors that could happen, so um, you need to look at an appropriate level of detail at this stage, and that's what we believe we've done as part of this study. Thank you. Yeah, would you like to speak on behalf of uh, Ed Leaston? Yeah, do you want to come to the mic so everybody can hear? Thanks. It's not just the people in the room, it's the outsiders as well. You, you mentioned in your assessment that one of the reasons that Elsenham and Takeley were dismissed was because there was a need for a, a, a new junction, a new A120 junction. Uh, that, that wasn't for Elsenham, that was for Little Dunmore. Sorry, Takeley. Sorry, Little Dunmore and Takeley. Um, I'm slightly confused because in the Uttersford assessment for Eastern Park, it was quite damning of the fact that there needed to be a second access, of which there is only one at the moment. And without that second access, it made Eastern Park, I think, I don't have it with me, but I'm fairly certain it used words unviable. Um, but you say that is not, there would not be the need to create a second junction. Um, Eastern Park benefits from an existing Great Separated Junction onto the A120, uh, there probably will be a requirement for improvements to that junction. Uh, well, it's not a junction, it's just a, a, an access road onto a small roundabout that then goes eventually onto the 120. It's not a junction. It, um, it's a distance from the junction. Yeah, but in, in, in sort of network terms, it's not a huge distance, and the network between that junction and the site can be delivered and improved to accommodate the traffic that a development the Eastern Park will still only have one access. Yeah, that, I mean, that is not unusual for a development of that scale. I just said we're quite damning about the fact that it didn't have, a, it was unviable without a second access. Yeah, I, I, my understanding is that the developers that are promoting that site have since uh, provided further information to the council. Certainly not to the least in Brash Council. I think they have, so we'll just let Mr Fox come in. Yeah, and uh, David Sprunt, uh, Essex County Council, is in the audience as well. Yes, the, the, you're absolutely right. There is, uh, at the moment, one proposed access onto the A120. Um, uh, the, uh, the present situation is that we've discussed that with the promoters of the site and the County Council in terms of whether, in the longer term, that will be sufficient or adequate. Um, the view that's been taken to date and the agreed position is that there will be a secondary access proposed which um, through the initial stages of development assuming the site is allocated will be what's called a sustainable transport link in other words it will be bus walking and cycling only and not open to vehicular movement uh, that situation will be monitored and if such time in the future uh, an, an all-purpose um, secondary access is required then that will be built in to the long-term planning of the of, of the community. I'm looking at David if he wants to add anything to that from the, the county council, the highways authority's perspective. Well, I thought I'd come to the mic, David. Sorry. Yes, and, 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 and sorry, mate. You, 
So thank you, David. I know it's not <laughs> you've just come along to this name, but thank you. Uh, I, I think that uh, that, co that covers the situation very well. I mean, the, the, the site does offer a, a lot of things uh, over and above a, a direct access onto the motorway, which they, they would onto the A120, sorry, which they would need to to upgrade, and they've sort of accepted that that's that's the case. The link, as you say, is, is quite short to the actual site, so once again, we don't consider that to be a major problem. And having a secondary access that we can continue to monitor over time, whether or not it's needed, is uh, a, a really good situation that we've now got the site. We consider it can be made uh, quite sustainable. It's very close to the airport and the airport hub, and they promised to link to the airport as well. So there, there is a really good transport hub at the airport for both buses and trains to sort of London and the wider Essex and Cambridge area. So it does offer some really good sustainable transport opportunities, which could negate the need in the future for the second access, which is why we said it would be built into it and monitored. Okay, I'm going to move with respect just to one quick, quick, the There is only one vehicle access. But you've just heard from Essex County Council that at the moment. There's only one vehicle access. Yeah. And there's no plans for there to be a second. That's correct? Well, they said, they said buses and uh, cycling, I think, use them more, but there's no open vehicle access. There's only the one that exists at the moment, what we would call the quarry road. Thank you. Does, does Stepping want to say anything? I was going to get some clarity, of course, around West of Braintree, um, because my reading of the document was that scenario 28 was your preferred um, scenario in terms of transport, which was Great Chesterford and west of Great Dummer and Tateley. But tonight you have said that it's Great Chesterford, west of Great Dummer and west of Braintree, um, which caused me some confusion in the light of you saying, I'm, my understanding is, that um, west of Braintree in development terms in Uttersford District Council District is only viable if it goes ahead within Braintree District. Yeah, I think that there must be some confusion because scenario 28 is uh, Great Chesterford, west of Great Dunbar and west of Braintree uh, with 1460. Sorry, I didn't catch that. I said, unfortunately, I don't have the document in front of me to refer to, but that's what my notes have said. Yeah, I've, I've got the schedule here with all of the scenarios listed out, and I've, that's, yeah, I've just checked, and that is the case. And so it's confirmation that the viability of that scenario, therefore, is based on the fact that Braintree District Council go ahead with their West of Braintree development, because you've said that West of Braintree, in terms of us as District Council, is not viable without that development taking place as well. Do officers rather than transport want to comment on that? Yeah, I, I think some of the confusion, and uh, I think Astrid was trying, trying to help in response to Councillor Dean's question, is around the fact that um, there's, there's internal transport movements within a new settlement and there's external transport movements. And I think what Alistair Gregory and we've been saying is for, for West of Braintree to operate successfully with, uh, in a sustainable way for transport purposes, it requires the whole development to go ahead. In other words, if it was just in the Uttlesford part and not the Braintree part, it wouldn't operate successfully internally. But externally, 
the, the, the best and, and easiest access into the site as a whole is from within the sort of district. And I'm looking at David Sprint and Alistair. So, so yeah, they're, they're both nodding. Chairman, I hope that helps. That does help. So thank you very much. Uh, thank you. Uh, Councillor Barker. Um, a comment and a question, really, I suppose, for Mr. Sprunt. Um, we've already taken a lot of building in Uttlesford over the last few years, as you're away. We're mainly rural roads. Um, people always go the shortest way, so yes, we'd love the traffic to go along the A120 and down the 131, but it doesn't. It goes through Barnston, or it goes down the B184 or the B183. Um, would you agree that while we're planning this, whatever scenario we end up with, that the thing we have to do, we have to protect potentially Little Eastern. We may only have one link road onto the A120 at the moment, we certainly don't want a way out through Little Eastern. Um, but places like Barnston, you know, they are enormous. The road is stressed through Barnston on B1008. The road is stressed from Takeley on the B1256. Um, and, you know, other bits in the north, I'm not so good in the north, I do apologise. Um, but we've got to make sure that we do something on these minor roads that actually protect some of those people from the impacts of this. You drive through Takeley, the, the detail in the document here stresses the four Ashes crossroads at Takeley and how it's under stress. The B1008, it is a single carriageway road. It is 5.4 metres wide. It takes 35,000 vehicles a year. And when lorries go down there, they can't pass. They mount the pavement to pass each other. And I think as part of this, and part of the planning, part of the work of this is County Council, needs to be something to do to discourage people from driving on the minor roads and keep them on the major roads where we'd like them. Thank you. I don't know if you want to. It's more a statement than a question, but... Mr Sprunt, thank you. Um, I, I think Alice sort of partially answered this in respect of another thing. This sort of comes, this is the sort of thing we'd have to look at as part of the, the next stage in this process as part of NOTF. So I accept your comments and we drive the road regularly and I, I know some of the issues on there. So but it would be something that would come in the next step of uh, the process rather than now. Thank you. Um, if you're okay, Councillor Dean, I know you've got 40 points to raise, but uh, um, thank you. Uh, so uh, the recommendation is to note the outcomes of the study that will inform the draft local plan document. Uh, those uh, in favour of noting, I don't think they're not going to note, so thank you for that. Uh, carried unanimously. Um, and I, I repeat my thanks to uh, Alistair Gregory and David Sprunt, so thanks very much for that presentation. We're now going to move on to um, item four, which is Garden Communities Additional Landscape Study. You're just being circulated uh, an, an amendment uh, to that item, and then I have two speakers, um, <coughs> Mrs. Barron and uh, Mrs. Merrifield, uh, on this item. So I'll ask Mr. Payne to comment on the amendment, and then we'll go into the external speakers. Thank you. Thank you, Chair. Um, my name is Simon Payne. I am project manager for the local plan. Um, and I'll be presenting the uh, report on the landscape and visual appraisals for the garden communities, which starts on page 1073. Um, and it covers the three potential garden community locations, North Uttlesford, Eastern Park, and West of Braintree. Um, the, uh, me the amendment sheet, which has been passed around, um, addresses the omission in the report in relation to Little Eastern 
to the conservation area. Um, and uh, the report uh, has been changed, and rather than recirculate the whole report, uh, there's just this short update note. Um, members will note on the reverse of the note uh, is a plan which shows the conservation area and it shows the promoter site which is immediately adjacent to that area to the west. And there are two amendments to the text which would need to be included within the document itself. Um, the other point to make, I think, Chair, is that the report um, is setting out the conclusions of the appraisals and it's for information. The documents will form part of the evidence base for the local plan and inform decision-making on the local plan. But uh, I can answer the, any questions which arise and I also need to respond to Mr John Evans' points which were made earlier. Indeed, Mr Evans and, uh, and uh, whatever is going to be said by Mrs Barron and Mrs Merrifield. So thank you, Mr Payne. Uh, whichever order you'd like to come and uh, address. Mrs Barron first, maybe. Thank you, Mr Chairman. Uh, Wendy Brown, Vice Chair of Great Dunbar Town Council's Planning Committee. We have a town just east of Stansted Airport called Great Dunbo. How can a new town built next to it be anything other than urban sprawl? This proposal is not new. What we need to know is what is different this time, because each time a plan for this site has gone before an independent inspector, it has failed. We know that a new town at Eastern Park was rejected in the past. We know that 700 houses on land west of Great Dunbo was rejected recently at public inquiry. It was deemed unsustainable even when employment land, schools and shops were offered. It is significant that there is a working quarry in the centre of the site because it forces homes to be built in the most sensitive and attractive area. In any other circumstances, the bulk of tree screening and open space would have helped mitigate the harm on heritage assets. That simply cannot happen if you choose to build on Eastern Park in this planned period. The initial size of development for the planned period must be sustainable in its own right. If not, the plan will fail. It would be likely through land ownership that it wouldn't stop until it reached the full 10,000 shown in the master plan. What is troubling us is that days before a public consultation where the district will undergo a major and irreversible change, facts are ignored or poorly represented. Any answers that have been expressed verbally in small closed meetings with UDC and land security has not made their way into the information before you. It is UDC's responsibility to present the facts. A new land security prospectus was promised and has not materialised. Proven inaccuracies regarding existing housing developments, a railway line and a fast bus route to the airport have not been withdrawn. Your constraints map still does not show the Little Eastern Conservation Area. Maybe that's changed tonight. Facts are either ignored or presented to us as community benefits. For example, an outcome from the public inquiry on the 700 homes land west of Great Dumbo was that Park Road and other local roads are not suitable to support traffic from a new development. This is not a condition imposed as a community benefit. Is it a benefit to build a new town where you are forced to do a five-mile detour to travel north to Thaxted and Saffron Walden, part of your neighbouring community? Is it a benefit to only have one way in and out of a town which is expected to grow to 10,000 houses? Is it a benefit to use the town's main access off the A120 to serve a new town, a quarry and a new business park? 
Can you please provide written answers to the following questions posed in May and still unanswered? Who was the author of your brief heritage impact assessment presented at your May meeting? Have you amended the assessment item 2.2.1 to show that Stone Hall and Knoxtrude Hall is Grade 2 listed? Does your heritage study clearly explain that Stone Hall is in the centre of Land Security's master plan site? Why would it be highly disappointing not to include the Eastern Lodge Gatehouse in Stortford Road in the new housing development? Why should there be a new cycle path, a pedestrian route or even a secondary emergency access route through the Gatehouse and Highwood SSSI? We've provided an image for those not familiar with the area. Can you confirm that the full report as recommended in 5.0 to the assessment will be carried out by an independent expert commissioned by UDC and not Land Securities? At your last meeting we made a statement that the distance between the employment site on the A120 and the proposed housing development is two miles. Do you, do you agree or disagree with that statement? And lastly, can you provide a written reply to one additional question? Does the planning authority have a responsibility to avoid building a new town adjacent to and under the flight path of an expanding Stansted Airport? Uttlesford is our district, Gate Dunmo is our town, and whatever happens as a result of your decisions, it will be us and future generations who will live with the consequences. We deserve to have the facts expressed clearly and incorrect information deleted. The information should be presented in a form that allows, I've got one line to go, the information should be presented in a form that allows the site to be judged fairly on a like for life basis with all other options. Thank you. I have passed these on. Thank you very much. I think if you could pass them on to Mr. Payne because he's going to try and respond as much as possible. Where he can't, obviously, we'll send you a written response. Um, thank you. Thank you. This is Merrifield. Sandy Merrifield, the Stebbing Parish Council. It is disappointing to see just how little information there is in this report on the effects of this development on the Stebbing Green area. There is much of what the government requirements are, but very little observation. One could almost imagine it to be a desktop study. One suggestion in the report is, is that there is a decrease in tranquility from the B1256 to a place on Stebbing Green where the red development line ends. A very short walk onto Stebbing Green Road from the 1256 and you are in another world, quieter, greener and very peaceful. The area is special, but there is no sense of this in the report. Essex County Council in its ECOS report and the Essex Wildlife Trust value the green with its many rare species of grasses, butterflies and its great crested newts. The landscape studies suggest that boxwood would, would be a landscape effect in the new development. This is ancient woodland visited by large herds of deer, badgers, foxes and other wildlife. The fencing of the A120 has already constrained these animals. You cannot have a wood like this in the centre of a town. It is a living environment, not a landscape effect. I would refer you to the landscape, Stebbing Landscape Assessment, which is far more detailed, which gives far more detailed accounts of the pressures and the effect this would have on Stebbing and Stebbing Green, both both of which are not west of Braintree, but in Uttlesford. During the last plan period, East Hearts District Council expressed a desire to build into Uttlesford. They were given short shrift. 
Braintree is a huge rural district, perfectly able to contain an infinite amount of housing. It should not be pressing on UDC's borders just because one greedy landowner offers to make life easy for them. It will coalesce both our districts. The landscape of the south of our district has been greatly changed already with much development focused on the already overloaded A120, whilst pretty much ignoring the M11. We know houses need to go somewhere, but there needs to be a fair distribution around the whole district and not just the south. Thank you. Thank you very much. Mr. Payne. Thank you, Chairman. Um, I think probably, um, if I may, um, firstly um, address the points that Mr. John Evans made. Um, and I think then that that may also assist in terms of the uh, other two um, uh, speakers as well. Um, clearly, the landscape and visual appraisal is very important indeed. Um, and the work that we have done, um, which has been commissioned, has two main purposes. First, to inform, along with all of the other evidence, uh, the decisions that the council will need to make on the local plan. And secondly, it also provides an important base in providing guidance if it's decided to pursue um, one or all or, um, of, of these garden community proposals, then detailed work on the master plans and the detailed planning stages will also need to be informed by this work and more detailed work. The Commission itself and the, the three reports which are before the working group um, really set out the terms of reference which we gave the consultant. And that was the purpose of the appraisal is to provide a preliminary high-level appraisal of the development potential of the site in landscape and visual capacity terms. So in essence, it is quite broad brush. Um, all of the studies recognize uh, that there are considerable sensitivities and considerable issues of importance, important assets, um, which need to be taken into account. But it doesn't get down to the finer grain detail um, that some of the uh, speakers have spoken about, and particularly drawing on the neighborhood plan work. And we've heard that the neighborhood plan that's been adopted um, for Great Chesterford is part of the evidence base as well. I think that um, Mr. Fox made that point. Um, so it's, it's um, an overview, it's a consistent overview in relation to the three garden communities that are before us. Um, and the detailed comments that have, so I hope that really just seeks to address Mr. Evans' point, which was that the appraisal, the appraisal has not been prepared. This is on the West of Braintree um, uh, report. The appraisal has not been prepared in sufficient detail. And there were some quotes of some very specific um, uh, character areas and other assets which should be taken into account. Um, and we've heard about the stepping neighborhood plan work. And I, my answer to that is, that's correct. We haven't gone into that level of detail. We're at the regulation 18 stage of the 
plan and we're need needing to make some very difficult decisions about where the development will go and therefore we need to have this overview to help us do that. We will then be able to consult on the outcomes of those deliberations. There will be plenty of other opportunities to do further work that arises from that. But I take from the reports that are before it was a working group how important landscape work is and we've sought to provide as fairly and as independently as we possibly can a view about the conclusions of that. I can assure you that the consultants did go out on site and in fact there are plans and photographs um, which are in the documentation which help illustrate the points. Um, I think as far as um, uh, Councillor Wendy Barron's comments are concerned, there are quite a lot of detail points here. Clearly we need to provide a response. Um, some of them also deal with heritage issues. Um, so with your agreement, Chairman, I would like to uh, take those away. I mean, I appreciate the points that have been made about the neighbourhood plan and that perhaps we haven't been able to respond as swiftly as to some of the neighbourhood plan issues. But I have to say, it's an enormous task that the officers have got in relation to putting this plan together. We're doing it as diligently and as thoroughly as we can. Um, and obviously, um, uh, um, the residents deserve a uh, response to, to neighbourhood plans issues as well as others. But we have just been quite focused in on the local plan in the recent days. Um, I think the other points uh, which, um, which have been made in relation to stepping green, um, I, I understand the points about the sensitivity of Boxstead Wood and the value of the green itself. Um, and these are all issues which would need to be thoroughly taken, you know, further work done and would inform the master planning work to make sure that we're protecting the, um, the uh, assets of, of value um, if in, in this area. Uh, hopefully, Chairman, that helps. Uh, that does help and it chimes with the comment I made at the beginning of the meeting which we are on a journey of um, investigation um, and uh, we haven't tonight, um, albeit hopefully we will tomorrow, uh, announce what those recommendations are. I think when we've made, the, made that announcement we, we then into, enter into a different phase and every one of the questions and the points that's been raised this evening as you very eloquently said Mr Payne deserves a, res a response and deserves a study and, 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 and as, as I Again, I'll repeat myself, it's not just uh, uh, this council that will want that response and, and, and indeed the local residents, but the inspector will as well. So uh, we have to do all of that work quite correctly. Uh, colleagues, any comments that you wish to make? Councillor Davis. Uh, thank you. I mean, it was just picking up on a point that Councillor Brown said. In the last meeting, um, I made a request for additional context information that had come through subsequently from Land Securities to be available um, because there have been some discussion or, or changes that have happened. Um, just wondering where we, where we are and actually being able to, to see that or what all that might be. Uh, yeah, yeah, we're more than happy to provide it to you, Councillor. I think perhaps best if, if we can just have a conversation um, offline about what exactly you need because obviously there's an immense amount of material they've been putting in and they are still putting in. I, I think it was just relating to anything that was material. So we can do that, and, and, and then we'll publish that so there's yeah. full transparency. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Dean. I just got one of my questions, Mr. Chairman. Is this a question uh, from the last item or a new question on this item? It's the second lot of questions that I 
sent to the officers this afternoon. Yeah, right. okay. I'll just pick out one of them, which is um, number 24. It, it's, it's this thorny question of, or it hinges on the, the question of visibility. We, we, I think this matter came up last time, at the, at the last meeting, about you know, our houses to be only lived in but not seen. Um, and, and if they are to be seen, then should they be of such a good quality that um, one enjoys looking at them? But, but there seems to be a, a dilemma that's come up at the Eastern Park site, where, if I remember correctly, the development started off uh, being roughly 100 metres or fairly close to the Dunmo bypass and therefore the existing Great Dunmo town. Then it was shifted further northwest towards Little Eastern Village. Um, and, and yet I read on, and then I read on page 11. 59 in paragraph 6.4.1 that the that development on the, the higher land which I understand to be the northern part and therefore closer to uh, gardens of Eastern Lodge etc uh, is more visible question is that a bad thing um, and therefore should one move it further south and closer to Dunmo um, were it to happen and so, you know, we seem to be in this conflict. If we do one thing, we, you create another problem or you create another object, form of objections. Um, and I'm not sure whether this is turning into a question or not, but, but it seems to me that, you know, we, we, need to, we need a mechanism to think these things through so that we, we get the best out of um, any development. One, number one being that they should be designed such that one doesn't mind looking at them. Um, and, and then picking up, there's then the other question that Mrs. Councillor Barron raised about is this part of an extension to Great Dunmo or is, or is it something that, that is separate? And there's a lot of issues there that are all tangled up and I think that uh, during the consultation which starts soon, I think we, we all, public and ourselves, need to get a, our head around these things and make sure that we, we get the best outcome possible which certainly is not nothing changes, that's unavoidable, but, but, if, but whatever does change, whatever does come about is, is the best all-round solution. And there's no, I know Simon doesn't have a magic wand to come up with um, a formula for that. You might wish to make some comment. Well, I'm sure he does, but um, <laughs> every point you've made is absolutely material. Yeah. and. If uh, a site is put forward, there, has, there absolutely has to be a three-way dialogue between the community, the developer, and uh, Uttleford District Council. And um, the point was raised about Park Road in, in Little Eastern, and there was a very uh, equivocal, no, it won't be an access road onto the site bar. Uh, walking and cycling and <coughs> under exceptional emergency conditions, emergency vehicles. A, a, a small step forward, the, the, the next key criteria was uh, by pushing the development, as you just indicated, Councillor Dean, to the north, you're getting uh, uncomfortably close to um, the community of Little Eastern. Now, uh, I don't think we've had a response from Land Securities, but that is the most material point. 
um, if you took uh, Great Chesterford, it's on the side of a hill. Uh, but the hill goes up, it, it levels off, and it goes up again. So exactly where the houses go is most material to the development. So all of these are absolutely fundamental points. But they're, they're, we're not in a position necessarily to answer them tonight now. But, but rest assured, we, we're crystal clear that wherever these new settlements go, it is essential that there's close uh, dialogue. And that's before you start to talk about any community benefit. That, that's, a, that's a very important discussion in itself, but that, that's a separate discussion. Um, we understand other developments have, have, have built woods, built buns, and done another of mitigating things. Um, whether in the longer term, as you say, uh, you want that new community to be out of sight, that time will tell on that. But I sense in the short term, um, the, the, the respect and independence of existing communities to be as unaffected as is possible under these circumstances is, is, is a requirement. But uh, Mr. Payne. Chairman, um, if I just make uh, one particular point, and uh, I'm just sort of very conscious that this is an item on the landscape and visual appraisal side of the equation. Um, and that is that we talked earlier about the importance of the Garden City principles. Um, and there are nine principles, uh, a number of them uh, refer to uh, the quality of the environment, how important it is that there's a high quality of environment. And the um, seventh principle says development that enhances the natural environment, providing a comprehensive green infrastructure network, and then goes on to talk about um, zero carbon and green positive technology. But I think the important thing here is that in taking the debate forward, um, it's, it's important that we understand the value of the, uh, of, of the landscape and the natural environment to inform that debate when we're looking at the, uh, the, city, the Garden City principles. Thank you. Any other comments from members? If not, we've, um, it's for information, this report, so we've uh, duly noted that and uh, we'll move on to item five, which is major development proposals, historic impact assessments. Uh, topic papers. Uh, I've got three speakers uh, on that, which I think we'll take those speakers first. Which officer is responding to this? Mr. Fox, so if you can duly note the comments, please. Um, we've got uh, Mrs. Merrifield again, Mr. Dodsley, and Mr. Thompson. So we'll give you a break for a minute. Mrs. Merrifield, perhaps start with uh, Mr. Dodsley, Mr. Thompson, and then Mrs. Merrifield. Okay? Good evening, Chairman. I'm Andy Dodsley, Chair of Little Eastern Parish Council. The very least we should be looking for from this awful process of deciding which parts of our beautiful countryside are going to be concreted over is a level playing field in terms of the site selection process. I've previously expressed my concerns to this committee over the bias against Eastern Park in the heritage impact assessments and then to date have received no answers to any of my questions. It's clear that the way the information is presented and the conclusions reached in the assessments shows a clear bias against Eastern Park. Why has a different approach been taken to the heritage assessments just for Eastern Park? Some questions. Why in the other five assessments is the setting and contribution to significance listed separately for every heritage asset but not for Eastern Park? Why, in the other five of the assessments, is the impact 
and harm on every heritage asset, asset and whether considered harmful, listed separately for every asset, but not for Eastern Park? Why, in the other five of the assessments, is the harm that new development would cause and how it could be avoided listed separately for every asset, but not for Eastern Park? The Eastern Park assessment groups assets together rather than list them individually, makes no assessment of the impact on each asset, as has been done for the other sites, using vague phrases like the site features a variety of listed buildings. Making the assessment so vague in comparison to the other sites hides the total number of assets affected, diminishes the impact and harm of development on each of the heritage assets and thus the overall impact of development across the site. Question, is the lack of a full detailed assessment just incompetence or does it show an approach that's intended to downplay the serious detrimental impact upon the heritage assets at Eastern Park? The conclusions in the assessments have similar anomalies. In Great Chesterford, five listed buildings not in a conservation area results in a conclusion that it's unlikely that the proposed scheme could be achieved without causing significant harm to the numerous heritage assets. Whilst Eastern Park, 19 listed buildings, listed gardens of Eastern Lodge and the site falling within a conservation area results in a conclusion that the scheme could be achieved without causing substantial harm to the heritage assets. Where is the evidence to support these differing conclusions? Are any councillors prepared to ask or answer these questions? I believe that you're being asked to make a decision based on flawed information. These heritage documents will form part of the evidence base for the local plan. If these papers are flawed, the evidence base of the local plan is flawed. There's still a debate to be had as we're assured that no decisions have already been made. I would therefore urge you to robustly challenge each and every assumption and conclusion made. This is the only chance you will ever get to do this. Thank you very much. Mr Thompson. Sorry, could you just uh, put the mic on? Thanks. Thank you. Thank you for your time. I address you today as spokesman for the Residence Action Group Stop Eastern Park, and I prefix my comments on heritage with a couple of generalities. Namely, the land securities proposal makes no sense, no common sense. To build a new town within two kilometres of major runway, uh, airport, under a key flight path with 139 flights a day, with limited local employment prospects to create a dormitory town where transport links are already struggling to cope and to create urban sprawl from the M11 to Great Dunmow. This makes no sense. As to the deliverability and infrastructure, the track record of land securities at Ebbsfleet speaks for itself. And at what cost would this third rate that plan be achieved? The Chairman of Italiston Parish Council has just demonstrated how the question of heritage has not been adequately addressed. 
I'm pleased to say, thanks to this bit of paper, that the travesty that the consultants appointed had failed to note that there was a conservation area immediately adjoining the site in question has been put right, but it does call into question the credibility of the consultants. With respect to Eastern Park, let there be no mistake that Eastern Park has been one of the great parks of Essex for centuries. Recorded in 1302, mapped in 1594, 1756, 1777, detailed on the first ordnance survey maps of 1875, evidenced by aerial photographs in 1943. It is equal to Highlands Park, Audley End, Braxted, Leomani, Wivenhoe, the great parks of Essex. And it remains exactly as it has been for centuries its boundaries clearly visible today, marked by the conservation area to the northeast, the listed gardens to the north, the SSI wood highwood to the south, other surrounding woods, enhanced by the 19 listed buildings referred to by Andy, and with a rich and colourful history. This I would be happily, happy to demonstrate to any of the councillors who might be interested. Yes, trees were lost in 43, tragically, and yes, Eastern Lodge was pulled down in 1950, but the park, the park remains as it was, a magnificent piece of land converted to high-grade arable use. Land of great beauty, untold environmental value, intersected by a multiple footpaths and bridleways, and widely enjoyed by walkers, runners, bird watchers, and horse riders from far and wide. These aspects, I do not believe, have been brought to the attention of the councillors. Why squander such an asset on a third-rate housing plan? An asset with the potential to play the role of the great parks of London. There are alternatives. New settlements are not a prerequisite. Carver barracks will become available. Recognise Eastern Park for what it is, a jewel of Essex, and do not squander it on a third-rate solution to a short-term problem. Thank you, Chairman. Thank you. Um, I will ask uh, officers to comment. Um, I think you've heard already, in terms of third-rate uh, development, that uh, Garden developments do a spa to something a little bit better than that. Uh, just a comment on Carver Barracks, which has been made in the context of the plan generally. Um, the evidence that we have is that uh, the MOD will be using that until 2031, so uh, obviously it doesn't fit this local plan. What happens in the future um, will uh, be another matter, but clearly it's a brownfield site, so it would be a serious consideration. It does have logistical problems, uh, but um, you, 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 you know, that will be examined in due course. So I just make those uh, two comments. Officers, can you deal with the other two in response to both the speakers, please? Yeah, I'll, I'll try to, Chairman. Unfortunately, it's going to be a little bit difficult because um, this, this paper this before you this evening covers covers the potential new developments at Chalmermead, Tateley and Elsinore. Um, so as far as Mr Dodsley's comments are concerned, I'm not disagreeing with anything you said, but I would obviously need to go back and check, check those inconsistencies or those asserted inconsistencies and talk those through with the author 
of these reports, Chairman. I think rather than make a, make a stab without the relevant information in front of me, I, I would rather do that to be Indeed, that was a report we took at another time. But uh, I think, so that, again, that there's transparency. Um, we're clear. And we'll have a copy of your presentation, will we? Yes. Yeah. So we'll, we, we will deal. Yeah, okay, we will deal with those. And can we action that that's part of uh, the minutes as well, please, to make, make sure that happens. Uh, just, just as a general comment, um, we have been hesitant uh, to reply in detail uh, to a number of the comments because, as we've said all evening, uh, no recommendation had been made. Um, as we've also said all evening, uh, hopefully the recommendations will be coming out tomorrow. So we do next week enter into a slightly different phase and uh, some of your specific questions uh, we're now in a position to answer more specifically. Um, so do carry on. But yes, we will yep. respond in detail yes, yes, to that. Yeah, yes. to make sure. I think the key point was a different approach. That's right, yes. Um, and, and, and clearly we would want yep. to make sure that's not the case. Yep. Okay, uh, and Mr. Thompson, uh, yeah, I mean, there's some, some general comments about um, the, the, the potential uh, New Garden community in the Eastern Park. As regards the flight contours, yes, we're obviously aware of that in the proximity of Stansted Airport, so we, we have, been, have been looking at that. And I think the general comments about the, the, the history and the context of the park itself, well, um, as I think we said, Chairman, at the last, at the last meeting, um, these assessments aren't the be-all and end-all. Um, any of these communities that we are potentially taking forward we will be commissioning full heritage, independent heritage impact assessments, which are, of course, one of the many factors we have to take into account in the planning balance, Chairman. I think that's what I would probably say at this stage. There is a, you know, we could start to get into a bit of a debate here, but there is potentially another side to this, which is that... Um, wherever these developments go, there will be significant investment by the developers. They're obliged to do that, Section 106. Garden developments are slightly different. Um, now, I've had the pleasure of going around um, Middle Eastern Gardens a number of times. It's run by volunteers, as you know well. Um, bluntly, more could be done. I'm not, I'm not taking anything away from those volunteers. They do a brilliant job. But the Italian garden, for example, uh, is, is a lovely feature that requires some investment. So I, I guess the point I'm making, and I, I don't know what you'd want to do with the remnants of the old house, but uh, I don't imagine you rebuild it. But certainly, again, there are opportunities, presumably. So the, the point I'm making is that there is an opportunity to actually create something uh, with significant amount uh, of investment, which, if that was what the community wanted in particular, uh, is an opportunity. Obviously, the overall aspects of the park, I understand what you're saying, but um, that's uh, true of a number of um, ex-airfields in, um, in East Anglia. They happen, you know, it's the same case as um, uh, Andrews Field, it's the same case as Bourne Airfield for Cambridge, it's the same case as Oakington in the north, which is now north, so, and so on and so forth. Do you want me to say that again? No, no. I, I think what Mr. Thompson just said, that he's, he's inviting me to go around the park. And uh, I have actually been around the park, but you may have a perspective that I didn't see. So, so I'd be delighted to go around the park with you. Okay, fine. Okay, back to um, item five. Uh, I beg your pardon. I beg your pardon, Sandy. Um, a third speaker on item five. I'm
Yeah, have we got? It was my, my fault because we started the response before I should have picked you up earlier. Um, thank you. Um, we are commenting on the heritage that was in last month's. Um, we noticed that it's actually um, points that were made that appertain to the landscape visual survey as well. We were pleased to note that with this assessment, this one at least does use one of the proposed development names, um, if also West of Braintree. Um, Stebbing Parish has a plethora of heritage assets, including a conservation area as well as all the listed properties and scheduled monuments on and around Stebbing Green. Um, Stebbing dates back, as the gentleman said, from Eastern, for one of the things it's mentioned in the Doomsday Book. Um, Stebbing has a long and varied history that is evident in the properties and the landscape and area around the parish with size, five sites of special archaeological interest. We wish it noted that three, significant, three views of significance were missed from the landscape survey and have been established in this. Views of and from Badcock's farm from the road north from the road to the northeast of the listed building offer clear views of the farmhouse from and to the, the, the site within this historic countryside setting. In addition, views from the main road, the Dunmore Road, through Stebbing Green are also considered to be particularly sensitive to change. Um, and a number of the listed buildings are located on the northeastern side of the road. These are viewed in the relation to the open countryside um, that rises upwards to the north. Um, one of the houses um, on the road on Stirling Green, St Jude's, has a very a lovely archway that allows views through to Boxted Wood site, um, and that was missed completely from the landscape survey. These are important viewpoints, which, and it, as it, I'm, I'm virtually quoting from the heritage survey. Um, will be impacted by the proposed development. You must remember that countryside views are, very, are a key component of the setting of these listed buildings. We would emphasise the comments in this report that this proposed development of Andrews Field and Boxers would be, would be harmful to this historic hamlet and the properties and the setting they are in. Thank you. Thank you very much. Mr Fox. Um, yeah, I, I, th I think just really that um, I've, obviously, I've obviously noted what uh, as Murrayfield says. Murrayfield. Murrayfield, sorry, big, big, beg your pardon. Um, yeah, with, with regards to the views, um, I've picked those. I've picked those up. I, it would be helpful. I don't know if you could uh, provide me with those de with those details. Um, the spe specific. If you can drop me an email and just say exactly where you're referring to, so I can pick that. Yeah, yeah. Um, other than that, Chairman, I, I've not really got necessarily. And for the paper itself, in terms of John and me taking the announcement? Yes, it, we I mean, obviously read, we've all read the report. Yeah, yes, sorry, they're, they're, they're essentially the same report as um, at the last meeting, Chairman. Do members have any comments about uh, the details on these sites? Definitely having a comment. We've been seemingly talking about the papers in the last month. 
No, these are papers specifically. It was taken in two parts, so these are comments specifically around Chalmami. What was the concern of the public? It relates to the meeting last month. Indeed, we understand that. Because we have not got those papers available, so we cannot comment on their comments. And they're particularly here, obviously, because they were, they were areas highlighted in the transport study, so we understand the sequence. But uh, it's a comprehensive piece of work around those sites, um, and um, there may be details that uh, residents would want to draw to our attention, but it doesn't sound as though that Mr. Councillor Davis. Yeah, I mean, just touching on that point, I think probably what's important as far as this process is that we see the, the, the similar um, acknowledgement and due diligence um, within that work that happened previously that gives it, um, it that sits on the same level as the, the work that's presented here. So I think probably what's important is we do manage to, to when we move into the full and thorough work that happens subsequently, is that the, um, the Eastern Park position especially isn't understated. Um, as, a, as, a, as a leading point. Okay, thank you. So, um, it's very kind of Mr. Thompson to offer to show me around. Uh, there's a big if there, of course, that's if uh, Little Eastern is part of the recommendation. But whatever other settlement is uh, put forward as a recommendation, I would be pleased to take up any other offer to do a study with local residents that perhaps you don't get as somebody who isn't resident in the, er uh, in, in the area. Although I think I I certainly know Chesterford quite well, if that was one of the options. But um, again, I've, I've been around the Stebbing area, but there, there may be a different perspective. So very happy to do all of that. But rest assured that councillors have visited all the six or seven sites um, and done uh, site tours on those. So I think we understand the context, but maybe it's some of the finer detail. Um, before we move on to item uh, six, which is the employment topic paper, um, I would just uh, make a couple of comments. One um, is that I'm sure there'll be a lot of interest in the uh, meeting next Thursday. Um, and as I've indicated, uh, those papers should be out tomorrow. And obviously, uh, in preparation for that, that, that they will indicate what officer recommendations are. Um, so, to give, um, there will be two, the two items on the agenda, basically, um, which is the proposals and the local development scheme. Um, the local development scheme is, is important, but it's, it's an iterative exercise. We've discussed it many a time. So, I imagine the uh, focus of interest will be on the recommendations. And what I'm proposing is that we have 30 minutes, um, so that's 10 times 3, uh, sorry, 10 speakers times 3 minutes, um, uh, at the beginning of that meeting. Uh, so we're, we're essentially doubling the amount of um, public uh, time to talk. Um, and um, I'll do the same thing at Cabinet. So if you don't come do the PPWG, you'll have an opportunity at Cabinet. And then, of course, um, Council, uh, there'll be a, an, an, another opportunity for public speaking. That is up to the Chairman of the Council. I have raised the point with him uh, that uh, we will be running half an hour for the PPWG and Cabinet. He may wish to uh, have cut um, 30 minutes, that's up to him, and we'll make that announcement very shortly. So there's plenty of opportunity for the public to speak um, in, in future meetings. And I'm getting a message. It's, it's basically just to say that there are a number of sites proposed in the, in the proposals, and we're not going to end up in a situation where one or two developments have all the public speaking. It's got to be fair that everybody who wants to talk about the size of their town and village gets a chance. 
yeah, fair enough. We wouldn't have ten, um, ten speakers on X site. Um, okay, does that you you comfortable with that? I think it gives a pretty comprehensive opportunity for me because inevitably, otherwise, the points are repeated. So I think I think it gives a, anybody a good opportunity to cover it, and we'll make sure it's a fair coverage. Okay, um, and the other thing uh, that I wanted to say was that the slides that um, Mr. Gregory put up, they'll be part of, can we make sure they're part of the minutes as well, please? So, um, uh, for those of you who haven't read the transport study, uh, the thousand pages, it's on our website, and of course you're most welcome to do that, but hopefully today's summary was helpful. Okay, uh, I, moving on to um, agenda item six, I think it's Mr. Holmes. Thank you. Thank you, Chairman. Um, as I discussed at the um, last TPWG back in May, um, we have requested um, an add addendum to our um, employment study to be undertaken um, by ACOM. Um, I have, in this part of this um, topic paper that um, I produced, um, I have included those figures. Unfortunately, I've, not, um, I've got the track changes available and I will be um, publishing the um, addendum report in time for the next PPWG, so I will try and um, answer any questions the best I can, but obviously I haven't got the final track changes report. But I mean, just to give a brief summary of um, the, the, the findings that um, ACOM have come back to us with. Um, you can see, obviously, um, one of the things we were looking at was uh, moving the, um, the employment line study to be um, in conformity with the plan period to 2033. Um, there was other factors such as um, looking at the existing stock. We weren't happy with the assessment and they've been done at some of the um, Stansted. Um, there's been a, a gross overestimation of the um, employment floor space at Stansted. Um, as you can see in the two tables under um, section three, um, in relation to the um, office figures, there has been a an increase in the overall stock when they've gone back and looked at those sites, but there's also been a slightly higher rise in the overall need um, as well, moving the plans to 2033, so it has resulted in a slightly higher requirement. Um, in terms of the industrial land, as I've just met, highlighted, um, obviously the Stansted figure um, was grossly estimated, so that's obviously led, led to um, a decrease in what our need is, um, down to 10.2 hectares from what was 18 in the 2016 report. Um, and like, like I said, um, this, this, this is what we'll be um, basing our um, Regulation 18 local plan on um, and uh, any allocations we um, may make. Um, of course, the other thing to consider as well as part of these figures is that um, obviously it does take into account the 2011-2016 um, completions, but they don't take into account any um, commitment site and planning mission as well. So those um, figures will be um, obviously make a contribution as well to those or um, meeting our need in the plan period at this time. So, um, like I say, once again, apologies for not having the employment um, addendum report ready, but like I say, we'll be um, ready for the XPPWG, so we'll publish it tomorrow as part of the papers, so people have a chance to read it before then. Thank you. Thank you, but in summary, we're looking at more office space and less industrial. This time, yes, that's correct. Yeah. Yeah. So, and there's evidence behind that. Yes, there is in the report. So, like I said, yeah. um, you know, I know obviously members do. I've seen your um, questions, Councillor Dean. So, yeah, we'll, we'll be happy to respond to those questions in time. So, you know, okay. then, and, then next Thursday as well. Yeah, and so. obviously, any recommendations made will comfortably cover yes. the, the required employment land that we need for yes. all category of employment. Yes. Um, because that is a concern that uh, members and I think residents have that mm. uh, um, <coughs> we have that capacity to to move forward. Mm. Any comment? Councillor Dean. I appreciate that there's going to be more information at the next meeting, but 
sort of a headline that flashed in front of me was that the amount of land required for employment is going down, particularly the industrial bit. And um, as it's still my understanding, unless the government has changed the late, its mantra, that this is supposed to be a jobs-led um, planning process. In other words, we don't just build houses on speculation, but there's supposed to be a linkage between jobs and housing need. Um, does that not imply that does that imply that there are going to be fewer jobs, or does it imply that we're making more efficient use of land, such that uh, the jobs are the same, but the land required is less? Um, and are you able to summarise what we're going to hear in more detail next week, uh, or keep me in the dark till next week? <laughs> I understand that. Obviously, I'll be a bit more comfortable. Um, obviously, we'll report in more detail next week when I do have like the final report, report with me. I mean, in terms of the um, actual job job figures, they haven't really changed. They haven't changed between this uh, 2016 report and 2017. It's more the um, methodology that's been used. Again, um, I can't have that information available on Thursday. And is that is that one of the so is that one of the questions you've raised in the email um, you sent across? Yes. Well, in that HS, obviously, I will um, a response to that for next Thursday's meeting. Okay. Any other questions? Okay, in which case, thank you very much. Uh, we now move on to item 7, which is the Gypsy and Traveller topic paper, which I think you can probably deal with quite briefly, can't you, Mr Holmes? It's ironic that this topic dominated the first four PPWG meetings, mm. yes. uh, but uh, hopefully the situation's improved, so there's hope mm. for everything. Mm. As, um, as I've fed back at the last PPWG, we were still um, chasing a report from RRS, um, but thank, um, that, that chasing finally paid off. We did, um, they have sent us an interim report, which I attached as part of these um, papers, and um, like I said, it was um, in conformance with what I was saying in the uh, previous topic papers. But I'll just go through it again, um, just to try and try and be a bit, it's a little bit clearer in terms of the figure breakdown. Um, just a bit of a moment, Cam, uh, Chairman. Um, so, um, if I just go to um, it's figure two on the, um, it's on page 21. You can see that um, as I reported, there's, been, there's no existing um, gypsy and travellers in Ossosford known that actually meet the current definition. Um, but as, as it says, the, un, the unknown need, that's those, those households that we you know, try to interview but with response. Um, there is 39 of those um, that may or may not meet the definition. So if you take those um, 39 households and you apply the household formation rate of 1.5%, there is the um, Potential, if you get eight potential households coming forward, then if you apply the 10% um, national ratio, which is you know the split 10% who may meet the need and 90% who wouldn't meet the need, you only get a potential need 
of one, but again, this is because this is an unknown need, and like I mentioned, this report is only talk, discussing the needs. I did, I did again just to confirm. I did report back to ORS um, just to check if we are, our approach using a criteria-based policy is still the correct approach, and they've confirmed that it is. Um, I've got that in writing as well, so I can just, again if you want me to share that as part of PPWG. I can next week, but um, yeah, as can confirm. So it is going to, still going forward with a criteria-based policy. There was no requirement for us to identify any Egyptian traveller sites in this time period. Which is a significant change from where we started this process two years ago. So, thank you for that. Any any questions around Councillor uh, Oliver? Yes, thank you very much for this, and I know it will certainly please the good people of Oxford to see this. One <laughs> query, a detailed query, query on page 1254. It says, a patch of flavour, one pitch, one interview. As far as I'm aware, I may be looking at the wrong Sutton, wrong bit of land, but that is a deserted uh, pitch. No, as far as I'm aware, there's nobody there. So how did they get the interview? Or perhaps you can point me in the direction where it actually... I'm, I may be looking at the wrong bit. I always thought this was the one in, in Stickland Green. I can certainly approach, I, I wouldn't know myself, but I can certainly approach RS and find that out and I can get back to you, feedback to you on that because um, if we actually have just been given the figures, we haven't been given, I can again to make sure we've, um, I say, looked at the correct site and, you know, see what, what exactly, you know, and obviously I can only do it to a point because of data protection, but, you know, I'll, I'll try my best to feedback and what was actually um, examined if that was the correct site, you know. So no, it's just that yeah, the, no. we all know that there is a patch just opposite. Um, in, in Stickling Green, which was given by the Finzel family to this particular family. And um, that's been deserted now for most of the time I've lived in Clavering, which is 30 years. Okay. Councillor Parker. Chairman, ORS have done a lot of work for us. You would have thought by now they'd know we were a district council, and not a borough council, as they refer to us continuously throughout this document. But, uh, it does seem to have been an issue, Chairman, that thankfully has, has gone away and we have the pictures that we have and we have on the whole um, reasonably well settled travellers in our community and uh, it's uh, pleasing that we haven't got to sort of stretch to any more. Okay, so you'll go back to on, on the, uh, the Clavering one. And I'll, I'll make sure he calls it districts as well in the final report as well. <laughs> okay, good. Right, there are no other questions. We'll move on to duty to cooperate. It's a shame that Mr. Gregory isn't here to hear the answer but, uh, to his question, but um, we'll uh, ask officers to comment on that, yeah. particularly with South Cam. I'll, I'll, I'll briefly introduce the, uh, the item first, Chairman. Uh, yeah, this is the, uh, the regular update uh, about what's been happening in the, in the formal duty to cooperate meetings uh, since the last PBWG, and there's only essentially been a co-op officers group and the co-op member board who have met during that period and the agendas and minutes of those meetings are appended to the report. However, I think more pertinent to uh, this evening's debate and in fact uh, previous PPWG's um, debates has been particularly duty to cooperate discussions with Braintree and more recently specifically South Cambridgeshire and uh, Roger Hargreaves I think has, has probably got a, an update about where we are in those discussions. Thank you Chairman. Thank you, Richard. 
Um, yes, in respect of uh, South Cambridgeshire, I can confirm that South Cambridge District Council have now raised some concerns surrounding the evidence on transport capacities. Um, but both authorities have committed to explore how those concerns about the capacity of the network for uh, any North Uttlesford Garden community and any other future growth might be overcome. Um, South Cambridgeshire consequently haven't provided Uttlesford with a formal view on the soundness or merits of any such allocation one way or the other um, to date. Uh, but both authorities would expect that if uh, a North Uttlesford Garden community became part of a formal consultation on the Uttlesford local plan, um, all the evidence would be explored between, further between the, uh, the, the two authorities and indeed the two highway authorities, Essex and Cambridgeshire, uh, and Highways England, um, looking at the evidence underpinning any such allocation um, to inform a formal response to the Council on uh, duty co to cooperate issues. Good, thank you. And uh, we are aware, of course, that South Camps have, um, well, some of the, uh, the villages in South Camps have concerns um, in addition to um, uh, highway issues, uh, there's in environmental impact issues, uh, there's water, um, both runoff and um, the aqua uh, levels, um, and uh, indeed um, uh, foul water sewage as well. So. Uh, that we're aware, again, as we've said all evening, that this will be subject to detailed examination. So um, it's, it's, not, it's not just a highways issue, it's, it's a number of other things, but obviously we'll continue to work with that authority. Councillor Barker. Uh, just, just to reassure members, um, we have a um, West Essex East House meeting on Monday evening, each to cooperate. I'm talking to the officers about a meeting with Cambridge next week, and I am talking to July, sorry, on the 3rd of July to Braintree. So discussions are ongoing. Councillor Dean. Just two points. Uh, one is that uh, Mr. Gregory, who's no longer here, did raise the question of the term he used, the missing correspondence. I'm not sure that anybody knows what that is. Um, and if, it, if it's relevant, will we see it? Um, and my other point is, from the minutes, I see that people are still chasing Princess Alexandra Hospital to see if there's anybody there who will speak. Uh, has anybody yet emerged from the PAH board to tell, to tell the outside world what might be happening regarding uh, fresh, revitalised, relocated hospitals in Harlow? Through, through, you, through you, Chairman. Uh, recently, no, to answer your question, Councillor Dean, directly. We have the, um, the co-op member board, we have had presentations for Princess Alexander setting out their aspirations for the future of the hospital, being uh, a, a, a revamp in situ, a redevelopment on the same site, or indeed a new, a new location. And um, there has been discussions about the sort of supporting work that that would require, particularly around transportation. But, and again, I'm looking at Councillor Barker to refresh my memory, but there's not been anything at all recently that I'm aware of. And having been involved with, a, a new, I think I mentioned this at the last meeting, uh, a new hospital at Papworth, which took 40 years, um, 
don't um, don't assume anything's going to happen terribly quickly. But clearly, we, we we all appreciate that investment in Princess Alex is is is, uh, is a big requirement. Um, so, missing documentation. Do you want to talk to that one, Mr. Harper? Yes, thank you, Chairman. Um, well, of course, the key document will be the duty to cooperate statement, and it, it might be helpful for people to see the chain of correspondence that leads up to that document. But I think to look at an individual item of correspondence might well be, well, people might draw misleading um, conclusions from that unless it's in the context of the, of the final uh, agreed statement. But the meetings that you've referred to with officers and Councillor Barker's referred to with members, we would take minutes in the usual way and make those available. Yeah, documents exist and the question is when it's the appropriate moment to release them. Yeah, okay. I hope that answers your question. Well, it wasn't my question. <laughs> so I'm not quite sure what well, was behind it. Hopefully the message could be relayed to, uh, so. <laughs> to Mr. Gregory, but the right. um, duty to cooperate is, is a key requirement for the inspector, so that they will require the evidence. Um, and as officers say, this is ongoing work with South Cams, who understandably have uh, concerns. They've got their own employment pressures with the Wellcome uh, Trust expansion and potential development of Smithson Hill. So it, it's all got to be factored into the same equation. Good. If there are no other questions on duty to cooperate, I'll move on to item nine, which is the evidence base, which is page 1301 of the papers that members of this committee have had to read in preparation. Um, and uh, hopefully it's self-explanatory. Any comments from members? Sir, you said that our meeting next week there would just be the staff local plan for Regulation 18 yeah. and additional employment which hasn't yet been made. But there are three, one, two, four other items on that list. Well, duty to cooperate we'll pick up. Uh, local development scheme is, is one of those items. Draft local plan is um, the key item. I've already referred to the sustainability appraisal in answer to a question that uh, that will be taken at Regulation 19. Um, so that shouldn't be on there? That shouldn't be on there, nor should the full plan viability report. That would also be taken at uh, 19, the uh, Regulation 19 stage. The sustainability appraisal will clearly take into account the comments back from the Regulation 18 consultation. Right. It was just that there is to be... Indeed, indeed. Yeah, it's a, it's a three-item agenda uh, for the next meeting. Any other business? I thank uh, members of the committee. I thank uh, officers, I thank those members of the public who have survived the course in the room and those who have listened uh, throughout um, and we look forward to seeing you next Thursday. Thank you very much.
resources to let that fashion go. Mm. Yeah. And a, a virtual golf course. Mm. Yeah. 